Here in Ephesians chapter 2, I know I read this passage last week and as part of the message, but it's such an incredible passage to us about God's love for us that, that I started looking back over it a little bit, so I want to read it again this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And you, talking to all of us, we looked at last week, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, either, even as others. But God, my two favorite words, it doesn't matter what you're facing this morning, what your trial, what your trouble, what your situation, what your circumstance is, you lay out all of your problem and you bring the absolute worst of all that there is, and then you add, but God, and your whole situation just changed. I love when there's a but God in the equation who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. Has raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show forth the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I love that text. I loved it last week. I've studied it more this week just looking, but I love the fact that God has been incredibly good to me. Is there an amen in the house? I love knowing that God said, I loved you so much that I sent my only begotten son, born of a virgin named Mary, of the Holy Ghost, just to climb up on a cross, be abused by men, spat on by men, rejected by men, beatily brutal by men, hung up on a cross, shed his blood to die. I love you so much. I did that just for you. I've wiped away all your sins. I've erased all of your past. I have saved your soul. I've given you your house, your home, your car, your spouse, your children. I've given you everything you need. I've been exceedingly good to you, above measure, and you ain't seen nothing yet. It excites me to know that he says, hey, in the ages to come, I'm going to show you the riches of my grace. You think I've been good to you so far? Just wait till you see what I've got in store. That's exciting to me to know that God's got greater things in store than we can ever even begin to imagine. So I want to look at what's going to be part one of a two-part message. I know I've almost never done two-part messages, but I know choir practice, I mean, um, well, choir practice, I don't think that's the Easter play practice starts about two, and I knew if I tried to do all of it today, we wouldn't get out until about two. And a lot of you got in your mind that you're going to eat between church and play practice, so I decided we'll probably split this up. But part one this morning, I want to look at God's inescapable love. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good, God. Thank you for grace, for mercy, for love, God. You love us in spite of us. You pour blessings out on us in spite of us. You've poured out many undeserved blessings. God, we just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that the name of Jesus is wonderful and powerful and merciful, and it is enough 
that all we need is the name of Jesus. There's many facing problems today, many facing sickness today. Many people are still lost and on their way to hell today. It's nothing that the name of Jesus can't take care of, God. Lord, I pray you'd move in this place this morning. I pray you'd speak to every individual, every listening ear in this place by way of live stream or however it may be. God, I pray that your, your purpose be accomplished, that your will be done. And God, we pray first and foremost above all that you be pleased, that you be glorified, that you be honored and praised. We love you, God. We thank you in the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus. Amen. So I, I want to look at the love of God toward us. I want to look at the lives of some women in the New Testament that God used to prove his love. You know, many times in today's world, we, we, we say how women play such a vital role in the church. Many times we talk about within the church, if the women weren't here, a lot of the work wouldn't get done. Well, the truth is, that's probably true well outside of the church but certainly true within the church. But, but it's not just in the church. God has women, uses women throughout the Word of God. Women play a, a vital role throughout the entire Word of God, but especially in the life of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we see women who have a vital role in the Word of God, and we don't even know their names. Last week, we looked at a couple of men, a couple of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Now, we looked mainly at the life of Elisha and how Elisha, before he became a great man of God, before he became a powerful man of God, he was a student. We talked about how Elijah came and God had him anoint him and, and he immediately cut up his, his plow and built the fire and sacrificed his ox and he immediately followed Elijah. But as long as Elijah was alive, he was Elijah's water boy. That every one of us, when we get saved, there's a starting point. But, but we have to learn how to be servants. And we looked at that. But we looked at a woman who was unnamed. She's just a Shunammite woman. We don't know her name, but she has a vital role in the life of the great prophet of God, Elisha, and how she prepared a place for him. And every time he passed through, she had meals prepared for him. And she put a room out back and took care of him in a place for him to sleep, that he always had something fresh when he came by, and how he, she was such a blessing to him that he asked God to give her a son because she never had a child. So we see this unnamed Shunammite woman. It's an incredible blessing. We, we came from Elijah, and if you remember, you look back, after God had sent Elijah off there to the brook Cherith, and then he sent him to a widow woman's house at Zarephath. We don't have her name. All we know is that she had a little handful of meal and a couple of drops of oil, but we know that she was obedient to the word that Elijah spoke. She made him cakes first, and the meal never wasted, and the oil never ran dry. And for a couple of years, God used an unnamed widow woman in Zarephath to take care of the great prophet. Well, God uses more than just men. God uses women to do some amazing things. It, the, the stories I want to look at here, these things don't even scratch the surface of, of all that God has. But I want to make sure you understand the message isn't for women this morning. I'm not on Mother's Day just yet, although it'd be a good one for it. But God gave it to me for today. This is, this is for everybody because the stories that I want to look at, God uses unnamed women. But they're stories about God's power. They're stories about God's grace. There's story about God's mercy. There's stories about it doesn't matter where you are in life. If you'll just take time to come to Jesus, he's more than enough to take care of whatever it is that we bring to him. So the first one I want to look at here is in Mark chapter number 5. We have a woman with an issue, and that's all we know her by. 
We, we don't have our name. All we have is our story. In the story, it starts out. It's amazing enough to me. It's a little short story, but it includes two people. And the first one is a man, but they give us the man's name. The man's name is Jairus. The Bible says that he's a ruler in the synagogue. He comes to Jesus. He says, my 12-year-old daughter is sick. She's bad sick, Jesus. She's going to die. I need you to come to my house with me. And so he asks Jesus, and Jesus is making his way through the streets. People are thronging him. He's trying to get to Jairus' daughter. Mark chapter 5, verse 24, as Jesus went with him, much people followed him and thronged him. A certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years had suffered many things of many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. So what we have here is a woman in a desperate situation. Before we get done, we're going to ring somebody's bell because there's some people in here or there's some people out there that need some help this morning, and God's just exactly what we need. Verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus and came in the press behind and touched his garment, and she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Jesus, immediately knowing himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? The disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, thronging thee, and that thou sayest, Who touched me? He looked round about to see that it had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, Knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. He said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole, and go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. This woman has had an issue of blood for 12 years. Because of this issue, this isn't just a little thing. This isn't like a pricked finger and it's just a little something. This is a big deal in the society that she's from. Because of her blood, for 12 years, she has been rejected by society. For 12 years, she has been an outcast. For 12 years, nobody wants to have anything to do with her. And she is hopeless because nobody could help her. Many times in the life of Jesus, we see people like Jairus, people who have needs, and they come to Jesus, and they ask for what they need. They, they come before him, and they, they make known what they need of. The fact that this woman pushes her way in secret behind Jesus through the crowd just to touch him, I think that gives me a pretty good indication of where her self-esteem is. I think she's been rejected enough to know that she probably don't even think she can approach Jesus. Why wouldn't she just call out to him? Why wouldn't she just go like Jairus did? Why wouldn't she just go like the ten lepers did? Why didn't she just cry out like Bartimaeus did? Why doesn't she, she holler things out and tell him about the issue? She obviously has faith in the ability of him to heal her. But it's almost like I'm thinking she's just too ashamed. She's been beat down for 12 years. She's been pushed aside for 12 years. She's been pushed out. She may have thought, I'm too worthless for Jesus to care about me. She may have thought, I'm too worthless. I don't have anything left. I've spent all my money. I don't have anything to give him. I, I have no reason. Why would he stop and talk to somebody like me? But what we see is that Jesus himself points the woman out. Jesus himself, who thought she was so low that she couldn't talk to him, he brings her center stage because Jesus proves a point. He loves everybody. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you're dealing with. 
Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter where you've been, what's been going on. Doesn't matter what the world has told you. Jesus loves you. We don't even have her name. As a matter of fact, she's only identified by her problem. Somebody tell me this one. Do you believe that this woman was healed? Then why don't we call her the healed woman? What about this one? Jesus said according to her faith she was made whole. Do you believe that this woman has a great faith? But we don't refer to her. If I refer to the woman of great faith in the Bible, how many of you know who I'm talking about? But if I say a woman of the issue, I don't even have to include the 12 years. If I just say the woman with an issue, then everybody knows who I'm talking about, right? So we identify this woman as the one who has an issue. The world do the same thing to you and I today. The world will pull out the worst about us. We've all made mistakes in our past. Wasn't an amen in here. We've all made mistakes. We, we all have had issues in our past. Some of them are bad choices that we made, and, and some of them were things that were beyond our control, like what this woman's dealing with here. Don't let the world define you by your issues. God said, I'm enough. Don't let the world hold you back by your issues. God said, doesn't matter. God said it's the race separated as far as the east is from the west, cast into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. God's already taken care of it. Don't let the world hold you back. God says you're enough. God says that you're of such great value to him that he sent Jesus Christ to die just for you. For 12 years, she's been bleeding. She's financially drained. She's emotionally drained. She's She's physically drained, but because of her issue, she is ceremonially, deal. y'all got that? Y'all know what I meant, right? Ceremonially, hey, it come out clean that time. She can't get to go to church. How about that? Let's just leave that out while I talk some, some, some Hogan days. She don't get to come to church. She don't, she don't get to come to the house. She can't go to the synagogue. She can't go to, to worship. She can't come to the hoppers tonight. She can't be at Revival next week with Brian Free, Karen Peck, New River. She can't be here this morning and let God move and talk to his people about the goodness of God and the inescapable love of God. She can't be in that stuff because she is ceremonially unclean. Anybody who touches her is also unclean. This is just Jewish customs. She is deemed untouchable for 12 years. Now, the text doesn't tell us that she have a husband, that she have children. I don't know. I'm assuming that she probably doesn't. But I do know this part. Even if she had a husband, he can't touch her. Think, think about that in our world just for a minute. Just, just try to get to where this woman's at. For 12 years, her spouse, our spouse can't touch us. Yeah, right. For 12 years, our children can't touch us. For 12 years... Our friends, if we had any left, our, our friends can't touch us. I wonder after 12 years if the woman even has any friends. I mean, I don't know. She may have because we know the lame man. The lame man, he would have been unclean as well because they viewed that he was either a sinner. If he was lame, either he or his parents won sin because the Pharisees brought him before Jesus and said, who sinned, this man or his parents? So we understand that. But that man had four friends. We know that because the four friends brought him. So I don't know. Maybe she still got some Friends, maybe she does, and I'm just trying to, to get us to see how outcast this woman is from society because there are many people in today's world who feel just as alone as she did. 
There are many people that are dealing with problems and situations who feel just as abandoned or just as ignored or just as by themselves. There's many people today who feel just as worthless as this, this woman. There, there are many people today that, that wonder, why am I even here? But yet she's so important to God that he pulls her out to the forefront in this story. So Jesus is on the way to a man's house. He gives us a man's name. His name is Jairus. It even gives us his title. It says that he is a ruler in the synagogue. Jesus is on his way to a named man's house who is a ruler in the synagogue. And Jesus puts that on hold for this no-name woman. Jesus stops long enough that Jairus' daughter dies before he finishes the conversation with the woman. Somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, Trouble not the master anymore. Your daughter's dead. She's gone. Don't, don't worry about it anymore. See, there's two people here in this story that desperately need God. There may be at least two people in this building right now that desperately need God. Two people need him. They both get what they need, but yet in both totally different ways. The man comes to Jesus openly. He comes to Jesus in front of everybody. He explains his problem. He says, this is what I need, and Jesus is on his way to take care of it. But the woman comes secretly. She plans to say nothing at all, but they both have the same faith. They just come to him in a completely different manner. So Jairus' daughter dies, and Jesus is talking to this unnamed woman. Seems like Jesus waited too long for Jairus, doesn't it? Seems like Jesus tarried too long when Jairus told Jesus. Jesus should have ran to Jairus' house. He might have gotten there in time. See, I just want to point that out because Jairus ain't the only one that feels like Jesus got to your situation late. Jairus isn't the only one that right now you may be in a situation that you feel like Jesus is late getting to where you needed him to be. He should have shown up by now. Jairus isn't the only one that, that feels like God didn't get there on time. Why would you stop to take care of this woman? Why, 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 would, you, why would you stop now? The man came to Jesus with an open heart, an open faith, an open request. The woman, she broke all the rules. She's not supposed to be touching people. She would have had, had to have pressed through the crowd. That meant she had to touch some people. She didn't just touch people, but she touched Jesus. See, ceremonially, she is unclean to do what she's doing. She is forbidden to, to do these things. But yet, when she touched Jesus, power left his body, and she's made whole because of her faith in his power. There, there's, a, there, there's a word here in the story. Some, sometimes there can be a single word in a story that, that may be as powerful as any word in the whole text. But it's such a simple word that we just we overlook it. We just kind of miss it. She, she pressed through the crowd. She, she broke all of the rules. She came to Jesus secretly because she knew she was unclean. She's touched him even though the Old Testament says that she's forbidden to do so. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us an account of this story. Matthew gives us the shortest version of it. Mark and Luke gives us more details. We, we learn some more things about it. She brought all of her worthlessness. She brought all of her heartbreak, all of her shame, all of her disappointment. She tried to come secretly and privately because the world called her unclean. The world called her an outcast. The world calls her a misfit. The world calls her useless. And, and, and yet... In all three of the Gospels, she's referred to, even today, as the woman with the issue. But in all three of the Gospels, the first thing Jesus says to her is, Daughter. He says, I'm not worried about what the world says about you. I'm not worried about what the world thinks. I'm not worried about your deficiencies. I'm not worried about your sickness. I'm not worried about the plague. I'm not worried about your path. All I'm worried about is you, my child. What an incredible thought. We talked about it in our lives last week as we were looking at, at the text and we looked at Elisha. But I made the statement last week, and I see it right here again in, in this opportunity with Jesus. What we see as a problem, God sees as an opportunity. The world looks at this woman had a problem. All Jesus saw was an opportunity. We, we look back and we call her the woman of the issue, but Jesus said, no, she's the woman that I love. She, she's the one that, that I called daughter. We, we can probably never begin to comprehend exactly where this woman is after 12 years and how beaten down she is. There's, there's no way that we can begin to comprehend how important that would have been for Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, to call her daughter. But everybody else heard it too. You know, all the ones that were looking down her nose. All the ones that had always gossiped about her. All the ones that said, why is she in town? She ain't supposed to be here. All the ones that said, oh, she's that one that's got that bleeding issue. You stay away from her. All of them had to hear what Jesus said. I'm just saying, Jesus took her out of her darkest situation and put her in the forefront and let the whole world see she's my daughter. She matters to me. She's important to me, all, all that does is makes it clear. I mean, Jesus recorded this. God recorded this. The Holy Spirit had men pen this for more than 2,000 years so that everybody that reads this story can understand that God loves everybody, especially you. That's what God shows us here in the text. Issues don't matter. What people say about you don't matter. Jesus says, whatever it is, you can come to me anytime. Another woman, John chapter 8, another unnamed woman. She's only identified by her problem. Verse number 1, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had sat her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that she should be stoned, that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? They say this, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. When they continued to ask him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. They which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? 
She said, no, man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Here in this story, Jesus is teaching the multitudes. The Pharisees are trying their dead level best to trap Jesus. They're trying to prove him wrong. They're trying to catch him any way that they can. So they bring this woman who is caught in the very act of adultery to the feet of Jesus. The man, I mean, there has to be two, right? We're on the same page? There's no mention of the man at all, which leads me to believe he's possibly one of their good friends or maybe even one of them in their little sect and their little clique. But, but for whatever reason, they, they bring just her. They throw her down at the feet of Jesus. That shows a sign not just of their hate for her, but their hate for Jesus. They throw all their disgust down at this woman and throw her down. And they tried to use the word of God against the one who the word is about you got to laugh at the foolishness of men. you, you got to uh, laugh at, at the simplicity of men when compared to the mind of God. They say, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law, that's important. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what says thou? Let me ask you a question real quick. If she was caught in the act, was the man still present? So we agree they were both there. We agree this isn't a lone act. Both of them were identified. One has been brought. And they said that the law of Moses says that anybody caught in that must be stoned. So to help understand, let's, let's, let's take just a minute and look at the Old Testament law real quick and see what it says. Because in the Levitical law, chapter 20, verse 10, it says that the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be surely put to death. Sounds like both of them to me. The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22. If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband... They shall both of them die, both the, the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. Verse 23 of Deuteronomy 22 goes on and says, If a damsel that is a virgin be betrothed unto an husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then shall ye bring them both out of, unto the gate of that city. Ye shall stone them with stones that they die, the damsel because she cried not being in the city. So that means because she did not cry out for help, she was in the city. It was consensual between the two of them. So therefore, they're both to be stoned. The man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away evil from among you. Verse 25 says, But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her, so now we're dealing with a rape. The woman has no choice in the matter. And, and he lie with her. Then the man only that lay with her shall die. In every single case of the law of Moses that they are referring to, they had to have brought both. But all they brought was this one. They thought they had enough. They thought they had everything they needed to trick Jesus. They wanted to try to trap Jesus using the Word of God, not understanding that He is the Word of God. He wrote the Word of God. He fulfilled the Word of God. The Word of God is about Him. They thought they had Jesus hemmed up between a rock and a hard place because they failed to acknowledge that He is the rock of ages. wonder what went through their mind when He stooped down and started writing. Do you know in all the Scriptures, this is the only time you find Jesus physically writing anything? wonder what He's writing. 
And we portray stuff, we make stuff up, we think stuff. Some scholars have their thoughts of what they do. Theologians have their thoughts of what it was. Some say he was writing down the sins of the other Pharisees around. And some say he was writing out the name of the man that they left behind or the position that he holds. The truth is, he may have been drawing a picture. He, he, he may not have been, listen, in, in my mind, in my thought, everything's focused on this woman. The Pharisees are pointing at her and everything, all the accusations, everything is, is focused on this half-naked, completely embarrassed woman in her shame. All of a sudden, if Jesus starts writing, I ain't looking at that woman no more. All my attention is going to be to whatever it is that he's writing. For all we know, Jesus did it just to direct the attention away from the woman to, to get it out of the shame. Then Jesus gives us this amazing answer. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Then he goes back to writing. See, they brought this woman to be physically exposed, and Jesus left them spiritually exposed. That They brought her to point out all of her sin and, and all of her filth, but every one of them there knew that they had their own sin in their lives. They knew that they had their own problems, their own situation, and Jesus just exposed that for everybody to see. They could act holier than thou and righteous all they wanted to, but if they really were all of that they had portrayed in front of the people, then they'd be clean and they'd be able to cast a stone. But the fact that none of them could cast a stone just told all the people they ain't all that in a bag of chips. They ain't all that they're dressed up to be. That coat and tie ain't nothing but a put on. What you see on the outside is a pretender of what's on the inside. So Jesus exposed them. The only one present who was qualified to cast a stone was the one who set her free. The only one qualified to judge you and I for anything in our lives, our past, or even present is the one who died at Calvary to set us free from whatever it is. The Pharisees brought her here to be condemned. But Jesus shows her mercy. The Pharisees, they brought her here to, to shame her. But Jesus turned around and shamed the Pharisees. Even though there's a crowd of people and everybody's around. And you know what? We almost forgot about Jairus now, didn't we? You got the story going on. We almost forgot where it started. Jairus came to it. Jairus' daughter's dying. We almost forgot about the most important part of the story. Jairus' daughter's got to be raised from the dead. But right in the middle of it, Jesus makes everything about this one woman who is caught in the very act. This isn't an accusation. We understand that, right? This isn't a false accusation, not a claim. She, she's caught in the act, and, and she has brought her to be put in her disgrace, but all she gets from Jesus is grace. It's just the nature of people to try and tear others down. There's times in our own lives where people do the same thing. People try to tear us down with their words. People try to tear us down. Sometimes it's things we did, and sometimes it's just lies. Sometimes it's just perception. It's just things that they put up. But I'm quite positive that, that there are pages in every one of the books of our lives that we'd like to tear out and throw away. I'm quite positive that every one of us, if we started day one and was reading the book of our life, there are pages that we would love to tear out and run through the shredder. But can I tell you, when you look back on the page you want to tear out the most, that's the day you can see the greatest part of God's grace. The pages that we hate the most are the pages that expose God's grace in our lives the most. This woman 
She's only identified by the worst page in her book. The day that she was caught in adultery and drug out before Jesus. Over 2,000 years later, she's only identified by the worst page in her book. But she's identified by Jesus, by grace. John chapter 4, Jesus left Judea, departed into Galilee. Verse number 4 says that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, we've looked at this before, so I won't belabor it very long, but Jews don't go through Samaria. Samaria is dogs. They are unfit people, unclean. I told you when we, when we viewed this story one time before that many of the Jews would cross the Jordan River to keep from even going through the outskirts of the region of Samaria, much less go through the city of Samaria. Jews do not go near the Samaritans. But Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. Not because of geographical location. Not because of where I am and, and where I need to get to that I need to go through there. But because somebody was there who needed help. We all know about the woman at the well. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on that part this morning. We all know how she came in the heat of the day to try to avoid all the other women who came in the, in the wee hours of the morning. And she didn't want to have to hear the sneers and all that's there. We all know from the story and how it goes on that she had had five husbands, and the man that, that she is now living with is, is not her husband. See, see this, this, is, this, this is just another... No-named woman. Fifth one we've looked at this morning, if you count the Shunammite woman and the widow of Zarephath. Just another no-name, nothing to the world. Don't even give her name in the story. God, God showed me something about this this week. I've never seen this before. I don't really know why. How many of you have heard it? preached about this woman and that she was possibly a harlot because she'd been married five times and knows all the men of the city and now she's living with a man and we hear about all of her filth and because of all that she had been filthy can I tell you that doesn't have to be true at all see God showed me something this morning I don't know why I never realized this brother you gotta love when God shows you something new and something you've read a thousand times heard preached a hundred times and preached yourself on it and, and God shows you some things there's really no calling this a bad woman because she's divorced five times. Do you know that in that day, a man could divorce a woman if she wasn't a good cook? What are y'all laughing about? <laughs> oh, a man could divorce a woman. Y'all really get a kick out of this one. She didn't keep the house clean enough. A man could divorce a woman if she didn't make the bed up right in the morning. You say, wait, 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 wait. I prove you wrong. You got the law. You got the law of Moses. And Moses talked about divorce all that. She ain't a Jew. I never realized that before. She's not bound by the law of divorce. I'm telling you, in the Samaritan world and in the Gentile world, all you do is go back and study it yourself. I had to prove it to myself this week. You know, when God tells you stuff, you think you got to be smart and try to prove things yourself. A man could divorce a woman for whatever reason he wanted to. So she doesn't have to be anything bad. She could simply be someone who's been abused by men her whole life. And all the women said, Lord, glory to God, ain't that the truth? She could just be somebody that has been used and abused. Well, let me get back to the woman. 
When she shows up at the well that day, she asked Jesus, oh, she asked Jesus, she asked Jesus some stuff, but we ain't made it that far yet. Jesus asked her for a drink of water. And then she asked Jesus, when he says he'd give her some water, said, where are you going to get this water from? You, you don't have anything to draw. So this, this conversation takes place. When she ends up at, at the well that day, Jesus asking her for something to drink broke all of the religious rules of the Jews. Jesus talking to this woman out in public. As a matter of fact, at the end of the story, after she goes back to the city to tell everybody, the disciples came back in John 4, 27, and they came back to the disciples. They marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? He broke everything that the Jews believed in when he asked this woman to drink from a Samaritan's cup. He broke all of, all of the law, everything that, that they stood on. But Jesus did not come to bind men with useless man-made laws. Jesus came to set men free, women free, people free. Jesus came that the law might be fulfilled on these two commandments, love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor. Hang all the law on the prophets. If you love these two, you'll keep the law. He came to fulfill the law, not to bind her. Jesus crossed over these man-made rules to set a God-made woman free that the Bible don't even give us her name. Do you know that Jesus has the longest recorded conversation in all of the Gospels with this Samaritan woman? Wait a minute, wait a minute. We do it in the Easter play. Nicodemus comes to Jesus right there by night. Mark chapter 3. Nicodemus talked with Jesus half the night. You can say what you want. Go count it yourself. Count verses or count words. Count letters. Count it any way you want it. Jesus talks to this Samaritan woman longer than he, the, the unnamed Samaritan woman at the well, longer than he talked to Nicodemus, one of the religious Pharisees elite. One of the hierarchies of the religious crowd. He has the longest conversation with this woman of anybody in the Bible. After the conversation about her husband, Jesus does something for the first time in all of the scriptures. Not in the synagogue. Not to the Pharisees. Not to the religious crowd. Not to somebody that's just been healed for the first time in the scriptures with this Samaritan woman who's been married five times and the woman that she now lives with is not her husband who came in the middle of the day to avoid all the other people. Jesus identifies himself for the first time as the Messiah that the word of God said was coming. She said in verse 25, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come... He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. According to society, in that day, Jesus picked the lowest of the low. He picked the lowest person of the lowest society to reveal his true identity. Jesus didn't, oh, somebody's going to need to hear it. Jesus didn't accidentally run across this woman. Jesus didn't bump into this woman. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to break chains, lift burdens, remove binds, knock down walls, take out barriers. He came to fix your problem. He came to be your God, to be our Redeemer. He came to set people free from the things that bind them, to mend us from our brokenness. The name of Jesus is enough. The world, somebody can go ahead and agree, maybe not, the world will throw you away at the drop of a hat. 
All it takes is one mistake in your life to destroy your testimony. Anybody say amen. You can get up and go to church every time the doors open, come to every revival. You can preach witness to friends. You can be as much of a saint of God as you can try to be. I'm telling you, one mistake in your life, and the world will glorify it. Because that, no, I wish I hadn't got to say the world. Those around you in the church will tear you down. All it takes is one mistake to destroy everything. Jesus said, I came to erase the mistakes and to make you whole and to make you perfect. Jesus says, my grace is greater than your worst mistake. My mercy is greater than the worst page written in your book. This woman left the city that day. She left in her shame. She came to the well in the middle of the day to avoid people, but she went back to the city to tell everybody about Jesus. Come see a man which told me all things, whichever I did. That's the kind of excitement you and I ought to have. God has lifted some burdens from us, fixed some trials for us, redeemed us, washed away sin. God's done some things for us. We need to have the, the excitement. According to Jewish custom, Jesus went to the lowest city, and he looked for the lowest person in that city to show all of mankind what grace is all about. God is still looking for people to show grace to God is still looking for people to extend mercy to. See, in the story, this woman is defined by her issues. But Jesus defines her as my daughter. The, 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 the second woman there is defined by her sin. But Jesus defines her as forgiven. This third woman here, she came and she is defined as a citizen of Samaria. But Jesus sent her back as, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. See, it doesn't matter what we have in our lives. It doesn't matter what's in our past. Jesus isn't concerned about the past. He's concerned about the right now. He's concerned about come to me right now. Whatever state you're in, however broken, whatever problem you got, whatever you've done, whatever burden is there, whatever's carrying, whatever people said, it doesn't matter. You, you come to me in the here and now. That's what we're worried about. Jesus says from this day forward, I've, I've preached a message on just finish strong. You can't change five minutes ago. Don't worry about it. And don't let the devil remind you of it. Tell him in the name of Jesus, shut up and get your nasty self off my shoulder. Leave me alone. Jesus is enough for me and I'm enough in him. He comes to this woman to show us that, that he's enough. He shows us that his, his grace is greater than, than our greatest sin, so that can't keep us apart. See, what Jesus shows us here is that he has a desire to have a relationship with everyone, even the Samaritan woman at the well, e even the adulterous woman. Jesus has a desire to have a relationship with everybody here. His mercy is greater than our darkest secrets, so that can't keep us apart. His love is greater than our biggest mistake. That can't keep us apart. There is nothing the Word of God says that can separate us from the love of God. God loves us no matter what. But it takes a step. It takes one step toward Him. You know the beautiful part? Jesus has already initiated everything at Calvary's cross. All we have to take is one step towards Him. And He'll come the entire rest of the way towards us. But it takes a first step. Band, you, you got, band, Greg, you guys come on up. I, I want to look at something else real quick. 
and, and then the band's going to do a song. Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of man. Adam and Eve have deliberately done what they know God told them not to do. God personally told Adam, Adam personally told Eve, there's no doubt in their mind that they are not supposed to be eating the forbidden fruit, so they have deliberately disobeyed God. And now they're trying to hide from God. God knows that. God knows exactly what they've done. Yet in verse number 9, God comes looking for them in the middle of their sin. It says in Genesis 3, 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Is there anybody in here that does not believe that God doesn't already know the answer to that question where he is? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. God said, Who told thee thou was naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thou that thou shouldest not eat? God already knows the answer to that question. But he came looking for them anyway. See, no, no matter what we've done, no, no matter where we've been, they deliberately disobeyed God. A face-to-face. Anybody ever seen God face-to-face? Adam did. God walked with him in the cool of the morning in the garden. God walked and talked with him. And, and he has deliberately disobeyed. It doesn't matter what has happened in our lives, no matter how broken we may be, no matter how abused, no matter how abandoned we may feel. God knows all that. But God has a desire to have a relationship with each one of us. It is God's desire to meet us wherever we are, right where we are. There is no situation so big in our lives that God can't fix it. There is no situation in our lives that is so small that God doesn't care. If we care enough to bring it to him, he cares enough to meet us wherever we'll stop and meet with him. Amen? I want to ask you guys, if you would, you bow your heads just for a minute. If you, you got something you need to talk to God about, you got a burden, you got a problem, you got anything, this, this is just, just talk with God about it. He's the only one. Jesus is the only name. You're welcome to use the altar. Um, whatever God lays on your heart. But I want to ask you real quick, is there anybody that does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Anybody in here that you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins and save your soul? God loves you right where you are. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church, you heard the gospel your whole life, and now you've been running from God for years. The prodigal son turned around. He found himself in a pig pen, and the father ran to him when he saw him coming while he was still a great way off. If you've never heard the gospel in your life, it doesn't matter. If this is the first time you've ever heard the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it does not matter. Paul says today, today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the acceptable time. You can be saved today. Wherever you are, it doesn't matter. You can be here or you can be out there. There are no limits to the outstretched arm of God. But it's up to you to take the first step. Lord, I'm a sinner. There must be a confession of sins with your own lips. Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. And I'm asking you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul. If you think you get to say that cute little poem, and then you get to walk out and go back to your old way of life and live like you did, you're sadly mistaken. This isn't about lip service. This is about heart dedication. Lord, I surrender my heart to you. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life from this day forward and save my soul. 
in Jesus' name. And God is faithful to save the lost.